Preach you in Jesus' name again this morning. I've been blessed to be in this service. I was blessed by one of those songs that was just saying, uh, swiftly we're turning life's daily pages. It seems like often when you're speaking on missions somewhere, that song is part of the program at some point. It's often spoken to my heart when I think about those millions that are groping without the gospel. And I wonder if God would give us just a little bit of glimpse of those souls that are going into eternity in a lost and helpless state. How it may change our view of missions. Would it give us more of a passion, more of a fervor, more of a desire, more of a burden? I don't know. I think it would. I woke up at 4.30 this morning to a dark room, and I thought maybe the staff was... I thought maybe the staff was playing a good end to a week of mission emphasis, roughing it, being flexible, taking cold showers, not sure what time breakfast would be served. Now you're postponing lunch. And then I found out it was for real. After I woke up, I couldn't go back to sleep, and I sat there thinking about what I wanted to say this morning. And I have my notes, and I have my outline, but my mind went and kept going. And you'll have to excuse the randomness of the thoughts because it was dark and I didn't have anywhere to write my notes, so most of it's still in my head yet. We talked the first night about the motivation for mission work, the second night about the missionary. And as a young person and growing up, youth, I feel like that I had somewhat of a strong passion for missions. And I got involved in the work in Los Angeles, went back there year after year, a number of years. And my heart turned toward the city there and evangelism. And I had the opportunity, I wasn't married, I was 26 or 7, something like that. So I had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling, different countries, experiencing different cultures, getting into different missions. And I felt my heart turn toward missions. And then we got uh, married, and I was ordained. And one of the first things I found out that I didn't have the ability to travel and to be involved and to see missions like I had previous 
And that point in my life was one of those moments where I had to take that glass and dump it somewhat. But I feel like over the years, God has worked in my heart. And now I feel that my burden is probably more toward the church and its steadfastness, its faithfulness, and its producing workers to go to missions. And maybe that comes with age. I'm not sure. Maybe it comes with losing some of the energy and passion of youth. You know, I found out, I believe, what, what uh, the midlife crisis is. I've always said that when you're young, you have energy and you have passion and you have desire and you put all that into or, uh, you put it into practice and work it out. And when you're old, you have the wisdom and you have the gray hair and you guide all that passion. But what are you in your middle age? You have just a little bit of energy and a little bit of wisdom and you kind of just stall there. <laughs> and so maybe I feel somewhat there this morning. As I think about a mission emphasis, my heart, I guess, keeps going back to the missionary, the person that is sent, the person that is going, the person prepared to serve in the home community, in the outreach efforts in another country, wherever it is. So as I stand here this morning before a hundred-some youth, and I see the intense potential that is here, I guess my heart is still burdened for the missionaries. I want you to imagine this morning, this afternoon now, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You were present. I'm not talking, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, but you were present as one of the followers of Jesus. You were present in his ministry. I want you to think about, imagine that if you would. A disciple that ministered with Jesus Christ in person, present. And you followed him as he went throughout the country. You watched his miracles. You saw him healing. You saw him casting out demons. And you watched. And he became your master. He became the person you looked up to. He became the person that solved all of life's complexities. And when you had a problem, where is Jesus? And when you were on a ship and the storms were crashing waves around, where's Jesus? And he's in the ship and he's sleeping. And you wake him up, Master, we perish. And he speaks the word, peace be still, and 
everything calms. And we referenced this story the other night. You're trying to cast out a demon and it's not working. And where's Jesus? Where's the one who can make this happen? You saw water turn to wine. Saw many miraculous things. And one day, as you're sitting and talking, he speaks some strange words. He says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And immediately in your mind, you're thinking, Going? He's going somewhere. Our master, our teacher, the one who solves life's problems and complexities. He's going. And suddenly in your heart, you're starting to feel an aloneness. What's going to happen? The next time we're in a ship and a storm comes up and the master's not here. And if he's going, we better learn all that we can learn before he leaves. And you start to cling to every word that he speaks because one of these times it will be his last words. I want to read the last words. Of Jesus. Out of Matthew it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And maybe in your heart a little bit of comfort starts to revive itself that he is saying that even though he said I'm going, that lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What's that going to be? What's it going to look like? Maybe that I am going was a concept we didn't understand. Maybe he is, will be staying here. In Mark sixteen fourteen, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not 
shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And I will not try this morning to explain exactly what all these verses mean, but I believe Jesus was intently clear that I am giving to you the responsibility of carrying on my ministry, and I will give you everything you need to fulfill that mandate, to go and to teach. In Luke, Twenty-four, forty-six, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Each one of these statements of Jesus Christ is kind of adding to itself. The first one out of Matthew, go ye into all the world, and lo, I am with you. And and Mark, go into the world, and I am giving you everything you need to fulfill that service. And in Luke, it gives us a little bit of a glimpse of how Christ is giving us what we need to fulfill that service. And yet out of Acts, chapter 1, verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And here, the promise of the Father that was referenced in Luke is described. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I don't know how many of you have ever wished this. I know I have many times in my life, if only Jesus were present yet with us today. Life's complexities. If only Jesus were present, what truth would he speak to that complexity? In John chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples this, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I 
am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. John chapter 16. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world. It is necessary, Jesus said, that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send what Luke referenced, the promise of the Father. I will send the Holy Spirit. So it's necessary that I go away because while I'm here, the Spirit will not be here. But if I go away, I will send the Spirit. And so today, as a New Testament Christian, Jesus is not physically present. But we are not living in some kind of a second best situation. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit that can live in our lives. That can produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. That can that can guide us through every one of life's complexities. Because Jesus Christ went to the Father and sent the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Brother John Ray read out of Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 5, and he read down to right to verse 18. And he stopped, and I wanted to reference verse 18 where it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I guess one of my pleas this morning is that you would be young people that are filled with the Spirit of God. The spirit that can move, the spirit that can work, the spirit that has power, the spirit that can impact lives, the spirit that can change. But how does that happen? Is this something that's just automatic, that we are full of the spirit? I don't believe I've seen it here in the States, but I remember as a young boy being in Guatemala, driving the streets, and there, laying alongside the road, was a, was a man, just flat out laying in the ditch. And from somebody who had come from America, it was a very strange sight and it made a very lasting impression that there in the ditch was actually laying somebody and nobody seemed like it mattered. And I asked my grandfather, what's, what's the man doing laying there in the ditch? Oh, he's passed out. He's drunk. Probably some family member will come eventually and help him home. 
Uh, if not, that may be where he takes his last breath. Be not filled with wine wherein is excess. Okay, there was a man that was wholly given over to strong drink. Wholly given over. So much that he could not control any one of his bodily movements anymore, and so there he lay. All loss of function, gone. How did he get there? Do you get into that shape, position, by drinking one glass full of wine a month? I'm not promoting strong drink at all this morning. But you don't get that way by drinking one small glass of strong drink a month. What about once a week? What about once a day? I don't know where that man crossed the line, but he was intensely intoxicated. It was multiple and multiple drinks until he was wholly given over to wine. And when Paul says here in Ephesians, be not filled with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, he's making a connection. And the connection goes something like this. See, I've been asked already, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Does it it mean that if you're filled with the Spirit that you're kind of like a robot walking around just responding to the Spirit? Do we have any, any choice of our own, any decisions we make on our own, or is it all the Spirit? What's happening? This is what's happening. We make choices every day that affect how that Spirit influences and empowers our life. We make decisions every day. And you can fill the spirit part of your life in many different ways. You can fill the spirit part of your life by reading your Bible. You can fill the spirit part of your life by praying. You can fill the spirit part of your life by singing. The next verse, speaking to yourselves, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody. That's the way you feed the spirit part of your life. You can feed the spirit part of your life by having a good conversation with a trusted friend or a good friend. There's all kinds of ways we feed the spirit part of our life. You can feed the spirit part of your life by immersing yourself in Bible school for three weeks. And that is choices we make every day. When you get up in the morning, you make a conscious choice. Will I pick up my Bible and will I read or will I not? And you make a conscious choice. Will I spend time in prayer or will I not? And you make conscious decisions who will be your friends and who will not. And who you'll spend time with and who you'll not. And as we feed the spirit part of our life more and more, will we be... Filled with the Spirit of God if we are only intaking that Spirit part of our life uh, one time a month. What about once a week? Once a day? 
at some point as we take in of the spirit the spirit starts to influence and what comes out of our life is the fruit of righteousness and when what comes out of our life is the fruit of righteousness then what we are experiencing is what Paul is writing here being filled with the spirit And I care about that this morning. Because until we're filled with the Spirit of God, I wonder how useful we can be in missions. Different cultures, hard work, many complexities. Many, many, many times where we'll get to the end of ourselves, we'll have no idea what we should say, how to, how to work through a situation, things so much different than what we were expecting or should have been expecting, so, so different, and desperately in need of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And many times feeling weak and feeling powerless and needing the Spirit. And many times facing opposition. Jesus said, I will give you everything you need to fulfill the mandate, go ye therefore and teach all nations. I will give you everything you need. I will send you the promise of the Father. It will be the Holy Spirit that will go with you. But if the Spirit is quenched, we will be feeling lost, we will be feeling confused and unsure. And that's the part of the message that came to me at 4.30 this morning. I thought of these last words of Jesus Christ. And we already read them, but I won't, so I won't read them again. But there's one phrase that I don't feel like we can leave a mission emphasis weekend without looking at. I probably haven't emphasized it very much this week. And probably for some of the reasons I've told you earlier is why I haven't emphasized it so much, but it's the phrase to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I would, I, I would hope this morning, I would expect that in a group this size, if there are people that are, have their lives poured out before the God, if the Holy Spirit is influencing and empowering their life, there, there will be some that are sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And I, I, I'm not even sure this morning quite how to define the uttermost parts of the earth. I read the book A Revolution in World Mission by K.P. Yohannan, and he gives some pretty astounding figures. He, he came from India, and he was visiting the U.S., and he was driving around the Dallas, Texas area with a pastor friend that he knew from the States. And this pastor friend drove him past this huge church. And the pastor made a comment, something about that church is a $75 million church. And K.P. Yohannan started to do some figuring. And he thought to himself, in India, that would produce 15,000 churches. He also gives some statistics where he says 85% of Bibles printed in the world are printed in English. And in the world, English only makes up like 9% of the speaking population of the language. He also says that 80% of the world's population never owns a Bible. Never owned a Bible. 80% of the world population. And there are an average of about four in every household. And I'm sure that has changed with the digital world because you can get it most anywhere now. And he also makes an observation that there's one, in the United States, there's one leader for about every 230 people per capita. In many places in the world, in his country, in India, he said, it's probably one for every 500,000 people. As he looked at our country here, he said, you know, he said the sad thing about Christianity in the United States is most of what the United States spends on Christian literature is simply for entertainment to not reaching the unsaved. As I would suggest this morning that the uttermost parts of the earth is somewhere that is very unreached and remote, somewhere where there is not Christian, <clears throat> excuse me, two or three Christian leaders in every church, somewhere where there are very few, there's very little exposure to the gospel message. I'm sure, sure there's still places in this world that are unreached. There's still languages where the Bible is not translated into their language. There is still yet today an uttermost part of the earth. But the mandate is still there. Go ye therefore, teach all nations to the uttermost part of the earth. And I, I, I you've heard me all week you know that I'm not implying this morning that everyone is to pick up and to head to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's not the way it works. But I think knowing the heart of God 
There are peoples yet that he wants to be reached. The, the, the long-suffering of God is salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And knowing the heart of God, there are still peoples that he wants to be reached that have very little exposure. And if the Christian don't take the gospel message, who's going to take it? And I think that's why Romans chapter 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those that take the good news, the gospel message. If I were to ask you this morning, as you think about the uttermost part of the world, what is the thing that gives you the most pause? What is the thing that maybe makes you somewhat easy about, uneasy about the uttermost parts of the earth? Is there any fear that rises up in your heart? I don't think any of us enjoy the fear of the unknown. I... My, uh, our home congregation has always been very involved in Mennonite air missions in Guatemala. And maybe from what I've said, you don't feel that Guatemala anymore is the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, there's still more remoteness there than there is here, I'll put it that way. Always been very involved. And right over the time that... My wife and I were getting married. Our church was actively looking for a, someone or a couple to send to Guatemala in service. And my fellow bishop, Brother Dwayne Evie, had been there for 17 years and had just recently moved back, and so they were actively looking for someone to go. And I remember my wife and I well, she wasn't my wife then. We were still dating. I remember having a, a, just a short discussion with her one night about this. And I don't remember that we really even got too involved in the conversation. But I remember leaving her place that night and driving home. And asking myself, what if I'm asked to go? And I feel like I was even one that has somewhat had a passion for missions. I had been there a number of times. I had been other places. I, but this was a little more permanent. This caused me to reflect a little more deeply. And maybe because of some of my exposure, I thought a little more deeply about it. Some people can have a sense of excitement and adventure and be willing to go, but that wasn't me. I wasn't going to say this this morning, but Brother John Ray referenced it. I visited the house where his father lost his life for the sake of the gospel. Shortly, a couple of years, a few years after it happened, as an eight-year-old boy, that made an impression in my life. 
But I remember going with my grandfather up those hills back to that place. The car wouldn't make it up the hill loaded, so we got out and we walked up the hill. So the car made it to the top, we got in till we got to the next hill and piled back out. And the impression that someone would do this for souls. I see all this was going through my mind as I'm thinking about what if the church asked me. I had been to Guatemala later in life as an older older late teen, early 20. And I had rode for hours and hours and hours on a bus, cramped. And when you're six foot six, it is really tight on a bus in Guatemala. And they don't know boundaries. And I think yet I was sitting on the wheel well of the bus for hours, cramped. Lady and her little daughter pushed in tight against there we traveled for hours. I spent the night on a bed in Belize that was simply wooden slats. Rolled up a pair of pants for my pillow. And every time you turned, those slats moved and pinched. And that's not the comfort I'm used to. But God uses men. And I remember that night as I was wrestling through all these thoughts and thinking about this. I was listening to a CD, and this song started playing Prince of Peace, control my will. Bid this struggling heart be still. Bid my fears and doubting cease, hush my spirit into peace. Thou hast bought me with thy blood, open wide the gate to God. Peace I ask, but peace must be, Lord, in being one with thee. May thy will not mine be done, may thy will and mine be one. Chase these doubtings from my heart, now thy perfect peace impart. Savior, at thy feet I fall, thou my life, my God, my all. Let thy happy servant be one forever more with thee. And that song spoke to me that night. And I wasn't asked to go to M.A.M. My wife and I got married, and a year later I was ordained to the ministry, and I was reading some previous ministerial notes prior to that. And I found out that my name was on the list to be asked, but they wanted to wait till after the ordination to ask. God fulfilled his purpose, I guess, in my life. As I was 
the morning of my ordination, as I was getting ready to go to church, my wife started playing this same song on the piano. It spoke to my heart again that morning. But what is it in your heart, when you think about the uttermost parts of the earth, what is it that creates that unrest? And I don't know if I can somehow implant in your heart uh, dependency on the sovereignty of God. You know, when God says a thing, when God says, I am with you always to the very end of the earth, Every attribute of God is behind that statement. Everyone. God don't make statements that his attributes are not behind. And so when God says, go and I will be with you. His attributes are there. Unchangeable. Everywhere present. All powerful. And I know that over the years there have been those that lost their life for the sake of the gospel. And it's tragic. But I believe even in the midst of those circumstances, the presence of God is still there. I don't know if you've ever read the book, At the End of a Spear. I think we just passed the anniversary, July, uh, January the 6th, when Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and those other men lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And years later, Steve Saint and others were back to where the tribes that took the lives of their parents and saw the gospel message being accepted into those tribes. See, the presence of God is still there, is still working. So I wonder where you would rather be this morning. The uttermost parts of the earth, in the presence and the will of God, or in your comfortable homeland running and outside of the presence of God. wonder where you would feel the most secure. If you never read the book Peace Child by Don Richardson, I think I'm going to publicly encourage you to read that book this morning, this afternoon. Don Richardson went back, back into the jungles of the New Guinea and he was, he was going back a river, back into the jungles, back to these unreached tribes. And he got to a place where there was a tribe that had been but had left. And he saw the remains of their little village. And he stopped his canoe along the bank of the river. And he stood there. And this is what he writes. 
The brooding jungle stood tall against the sky, walling in the overgrown clearing as if to create an arena for an impending contest. I listened to the wind soughing through the derelict structures, rustling the smoke-blackened, rotting thatch. I watched a fish cleave the lipid surface of the quiet tree-shadowed tributary. The wildness of the locale seemed to taunt me. Something in the mood of the place seemed to say mockingly, I am not like your tame, manageable Canadian homeland. I am tangled. I am too dense to walk through. I am hot and steamy and drenched with rain. I am hip-deep mud and six-inch sago thorns. I am death adders and leeches and crocodiles. I am malaria and dysentery and hepatitis. Your idealism means nothing here. Your Christian gospel has never scrupled the conscience of my children. You think you love them? Wait till you know them, if you can ever know them. You presume you are ready to grapple with me, understand my mysteries, and change my nature. But I am easily able to overpower you with my gloom, my remoteness, my heedless brutality, my indolence, my unashamed morbidity, my total otherness. Think again before you commit yourself to certain disillusionment. Can't you see I am no place for your wife? I am no place for your son. I am no place for you. The voices of the leafy arena seem to swell and then fade into the masses of creeping tendrils and twisted vines. It's only a bluff, I thought. This swamp also is part of my father's creation. His providence can sustain us here as well as anywhere else. Then the peace of God descended on me, and suddenly this strange place became home, my home. Take the book and read of his experiences there. Lastly, maybe you're here this morning and you know that you will probably never make it to the uttermost. Could be various reasons for that. I don't expect that all of you will make it to the uttermost. Probably most of you won't. But you still have a vital role you can play in reaching the uttermost. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints 
And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now turn to Philippians chapter 4. Paul thought of this church in Macedonia with fond memories. And this church in Macedonia was a church that was very poor. They had very little, very little material goods. It says they were very impoverished. But their poverty led them to give in many different ways. They give and they gave and they gave. Time and again. And now we get to Philippians 4. By the way, did you ever wonder why Paul, when he wrote Philippians, spoke so often of joy? And when I think of you, I, my heart is overflowing in joy. I think this is the reason. Philippians 4, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And I am pretty confident that this church referenced here is the same one that we have back in 1 Corinthians that we just read. The church that was poor, but the church that gave. Because Paul is saying there was no other church. You're the church that gave. Time and time again you gave, and you were there. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. And so it wasn't only while Paul was with them, after he left and after he was going to other places, this church kept giving. This church was behind him. This church was supporting. 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul was telling this church that my ministry is only an extension of what you're doing. And if there's any good that comes out of anything that I do, it will be on your account because you're the church that is behind and supporting. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. God, he's saying, is looking at your gift looking at your support, and it's right rising up to him as a sweet odor, or something that's sweet, something that's pleasant. And so imagine Paul in Thessalonica, and he has worked all day, and maybe he's tired, maybe he's discouraged, maybe he feels like giving up, maybe he feels like he has worked a whole week, or maybe a month, maybe a year, I don't know how long it was, But there's not a lot of results. There's not a lot of coming to the gospel. It just seems like a lot of dead ends. It seems like failures. And maybe that night as Paul is sitting down there in Thessalonica, he's like, I'm done. I I can't go on. I have given everything I have and I'm ready to give it up. And as he's sitting there, discouraged, comes a knock on the door. He gets up and he goes over to the door and opens the door and there's a runner. He has a box. And he presents this box to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul goes back and he sits down and opens the box. And here's that church again. 
There's notes of encouragement. There's items from their giving in poverty. And he opens it up and he reads the letters and he reads those notes of encouragement. And once again, he is re- his spirit is revived and he says, you know what, it's worth it. I'll go out again tomorrow and next week and the next month. And I'll continue to take the gospel message and go. Does any wonder why he said, if there's anything good that comes out of my ministry, I, I pray God that it would go on your account? I wonder if we would have more people willing to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. If there were more churches like this one that was behind the Apostle Paul. Having nothing to give, they gave. Impoverished, but abounded to every good work. And I can just imagine maybe in that church there were those children that said, can we go out to eat for supper tonight? And the parents said, no. We'll take that money and we'll put it in the box for the Apostle Paul. And I can imagine maybe there were young people that thought, you know, maybe tonight we can go out to the restaurant, maybe we can go to Starbucks, maybe we can have our cup of coffee tonight. And one of them said, no, why don't we just save that money and put it in the box for the Apostle Paul? Maybe there was a group of people that said, what's, what's the plans for the evening? Should we get together? Should we have a ball game? Should we play volleyball? Well, let's, well, how can we spend our time and energy? And someone speaks up and says, maybe tonight we should pray for the Apostle Paul. The missionary is not only the one who has gone, but the one who is supporting those that have gone. I hope this morning, this afternoon now, that you have caught my burden for you as young people, that you could live lives that are turned over, yielded, to the Holy Spirit of God and reaching out into the world and however God leads in your life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning.